It's still available. If you haven't yet downloaded your 2018 Key Financial Data Guide, now is the time. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Special Offer. You'll have all sorts of relevant information on taxes, retirement account contribution limits, Medicare, Social Security, and more in a handy document that'll help you plan and stay organized for 2018. Just click Special Offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Go on, do it now. Money is like the third person in your relationship. And even though you and your ex have split, you and money are still together forever. And so it's very important that you repair that relationship with your money, because whether you get married again or not, like I said, you've still got a relationship with money and you're still going to need to interact with money. So it's very important that you productively deal with these negative emotions. That's the financial lifeguard, Christine Lucan. It's Your Money, Your Divorce today on Your Money, Your Wealth, as Christine talks about the money mistakes we make during and after divorce and how to recover your financial dignity when the dust settles. Plus, how much will the average couple spend on healthcare costs in retirement? And with all this market volatility, is your 401k safe? And the fellows answer questions on buying a house with cash versus investing in a mutual fund and paying into Social Security after you quit working so you can max out your benefit. Now, don't try this in this country because it won't work and you may indeed end up divorced. Now, a guy who may never marry and another who's lucky enough to have zero experience with divorce, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. You know, uh, I I was kind of interested to see this. uh, uh, Let's see, this is... um here, here's how much the average couple will spend uh, on health care and retirement. And, and alongside that, a, a recent study with uh, Employee Benefit Research Institute. Uh, I'll start with EBRI. They, came, they found that 80% of retirees are very or somewhat confident in their ability to cover basic expenses. Mm-hmm. But then it goes on in 2018. I guess they didn't ask them, what do you think about 20 years from now? <laughs> but... Uh, but, and that was compared to 85% in 2017, so we've slipped a little bit. But then they found some some holes in because in, how people think about their finances and what reality is. So what they found was that... Is it 40-some-odd percent figuring out how much they need? Well, it, it, about, uh, let's see, 50, let's see, about 50% had not even considered healthcare cost. Okay. Right. In, in other words, they, they that was that was not plugged into their their thought their thinking process. And at the same time, Fidelity sort of does this every year. They look at what a 65 year old couple what they're going to spend in retirement over their remaining years. And it's uh, this year it's two hundred eighty thousand dollars, which sounds like a shocking number and it's it's a it's a big number to be sure because a lot of people think medicare covers everything but it doesn't so what this $280,000 is is inclusive of is premiums for part B and part D uh, in terms of Medicare, uh, uh, out-of-pocket costs for deductibles, costs that Medicare don't include, so, some of the drugs that Medicare doesn't include, and then certain services and devices that Medicare doesn't include, like hearing aids, right? That's that that's inclusive of here. And so I just, and, and, and what they did is they said, well, life's, average lifespan of a male is to 87. So yeah, well, they're saying $280,000. And so I think sometimes people think, wow, $280,000. Yeah. So I need an additional $280,000 right. on top of my savings. That, I think right. it probably boils down to it's, additional $400 a month. Yeah, it's it's 6000 a year. 
so you're pretty close. About right. fi- about five hundred dollars a month for women. The average life expectancy is the eighty nine. So if you take two hundred eighty thousand divided by forty six years between male and female, that works out to six thousand dollars per year. That's that's actually a more accurate way to think about this. But it's not as sensational, right? Right. And it doesn't that's, scare that's, the hell out of you, right? That's why they. It, the, that's why it's big headlines. The two hundred eighty thousand dollars. Because it's like, all right, well, I only have two hundred eighty thousand dollars total, right? And now all of that is going to go to healthcare, and I'm going to eat yeah. ramen noodles. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, if you think about it, just I would plan four to six hundred dollars a month for healthcare. Yeah, and that that's that includes your premiums. You yeah. Know, so that's which can be a big part of this, right? Um, but just realize that another thing too, Joe, is, is this does not include long-term care if you need long-term care and it doesn't include most dental work. So that's actually over and above this 280,000 or call it $6,000 per year. Sure. So are you ready for retirement with those increased health care costs? As we live longer and longer, possibly needing that long-term care, it's important to be prepared. We'll show you the ways to deal with market volatility, costly health care, and Social Security uncertainty, how to control your taxes in retirement, and much more. Download our free Retirement Readiness Guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. It won't cost anything, and you'll learn strategies to make your retirement savings last a lifetime. Download the Retirement Readiness Guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money, Your Wealth with Al Clopine and Joe Anderson. And today we've got a great guest on, Christine Lucan. Uh, We've had her on our show before. She's taught us about the behavioral aspects of money. And today we're going to get into a topic that it's it's not the most glamorous or, or, or fun topic, but it's something that we do need to deal with from time to time, uh, and that is uh, what you do after divorce. And Christine, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. I, I like the way you, in your website, you say you're, you're the financial lifeguard, so you're the one, and uh, so you, you get us out of trouble, right? I do, I do, and I help people rescue their financial dignity. Good. Okay. And, and you weren't always a, uh, a financial lifeguard or financial planner type. Uh, how did you gravitate no. towards that? Well, essentially, I made all of these mistakes myself, despite having an accounting degree. And, uh, you know, I crashed and burned. Fortunately, I was young. It was uh, four years after I graduated from college. But I needed a financial lifeguard myself. And yeah, yeah. what that really taught me was that money is very emotional and we need to be considering that in addition to practical financial strategies. Right. And now you've created a 30-day online course called Financial Dignity After Divorce. Tell me about that program. So I, I really felt compelled to create this program because in my experience, it's one of the times in people's lives where there is a very high likelihood of making bad financial choices out of the heat of emotion. And typically those two emotions are fear and anger. And when you're operating out of either one of those two emotions... And I think, Christine, a lot of people, they realize they're making poor decisions, but how do they turn that around? The first thing I tell people is it's very important that you get some kind of emotional support. So whether that's a counselor or whether that's some kind of a divorce support group, there's a lot of emotional stuff going on and it's not just about the money. So um, some of it is about the money for sure, 
but there's a lot to process and it's very important that you have a productive outlet for that. And what this program does is it definitely gives people practical ways to manage their changing financial situation. But what it also does is it helps to uncover the root of some of these emotional money issues and it gives people a way to productively process them so that they're not carrying them forward into the future, whether they ever get married again or not. And, and so what, what are some of the mistakes that you see people making after they go through a divorce? Well, and sometimes it's during, you know, during the divorce and after the divorce. Um, one of the things that I see happening is uh, what I call revenge spending. So, you know, let's say you got cheated on. And as part of the settlement, you got a big chunk of money. I've seen people take that money that they really should be investing in their long-term future, and they blow it on something to essentially take off their former spouse. You know, they go and they take a big vacation or they, they buy a car that they really don't need, but it's big and flashy. And it really wasn't the best use of that money. And if they had taken some time to, you know, diffuse the emotion and say, what's really the, the best use of this money going forward, they probably wouldn't have made that decision. That's kind of trying to figure out how to curb your spending and, and what, what <laughs> I mean, which is easier said than done, right? So what, what are some tips there? Well, it definitely is. And, you know, one of the thing that, things that I strongly encourage people to do is to you know, be journaling their feelings and getting them out on paper. Because when you hold all that stuff in, it's going to come out. And if you don't get it out in a productive way, it's going to come out in a very unproductive way. And the other thing that I see people doing is kind of the opposite, where they're so eager to break ties and get away from their ex that they give up the farm, you know, that they don't fight for what's theirs and they don't stand up for themselves. And that leaves them in a negative financial position, not just immediately, but going forward into the future as well. Yeah, so it's almost like getting the strength to make sure you get through the process okay. And, and in some ways, and I've never been through a divorce, fortunately, but I can imagine that the, the emotional part is, is so great. In a lot of cases, people just want to say whatever and, and move on. And right. what, what you're suggesting right. is that that can be really financially damaging in the future. Oh, it certainly can. And, you know, I haven't been through a divorce, but I went through what I call an almost almost divorce. Um, and I made that second mistake. So my ex-fiance and I had been together for seven years. And although we weren't married, our finances were intertwined. Um, you know, we had debt together. It was all in my name, but we had accumulated it together. So it was a very messy process to um, disengage from that relationship. And unfortunately, I had no legal recourse to get him to pay for any of that debt that he helped me run up because it was all in my name. So I understand those feelings of, you know, resentment and, you know, how much that can really take a toll on you. And I'm trying to give people a way to deal with that as productively as possible. Is, is this program, is, is it just for women? No, although I do feel like the majority of the time or a large portion of the time, women are economically disadvantaged 
coming out of a divorce, but it's really for anyone who feels like they don't have financial dignity after they've gone through their divorce. They feel like, um, you know, they've got a lot of emotional baggage and they, they feel like they're at a financial disadvantage because of what they've just gone through. And uh, it's interesting because I tell people that money is like the third person in your relationship. And even though you and your ex have split, you and money are still together forever. And so it's very important that you repair that relationship with your money because whether you get married again or not, like I said, you've still got a relationship with money and you're still going to need to interact with money. So it's very important that you productively deal with these negative emotions. Yeah, and, and I suspect, Christine, it's probably not just for married people, probably people that have been together a long time, right? Absolutely. So it, it really doesn't. If you're, if you're financially entangled, if you have kids together, yeah, you're going to face some of those very same impacts, whether or not an attorney's involved or not. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to even be a messy divorce with a lot of complicated emotions. I mean, this could be something that, you know, you and your spouse are in agreement that it's best that you split, but there's still going to be some financial fallout as a result of that split. We're talking to Christine Lucan. Uh, she is the financial lifeguard, and she's just come up with a new online program called Financial Dignity After Divorce. Christine, how can people find out about it? Uh, they can go to financialdignityafterdivorce.com. Fantastic. All right, Christine. Well, thanks for visiting with us. And uh, for now, we got to take a break. You're listening to Your Money, Your Wealth. For a transcript of this podcast and to catch up on episodes you may have missed, visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com. While you're there, you can access white papers, articles, webinars, and hundreds of video clips on tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, small business strategies, and much more in our learning center. Plus, clips and full episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. Get up to speed on just about every money topic that affects you at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. If you need more help, just email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. That's info at purefinancial.com or 888-994-6257. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, 14 money mistakes to avoid during a divorce. I wanted to follow up uh, on our interview with Christine Lucan about uh, money mistakes that you should definitely avoid during a divorce, and it's a topic that hopefully you, you don't have to deal with, or maybe it's a long time ago, but if you are going through this now or know somebody that is, these are things that you'll want to uh, avoid or have your friends avoid, uh, and I'll just go through these relatively quickly. The first one is hesitating to seek a lawyer's advice. And uh, the, the, what it says is when divorce seems inevitable, the first thing to do is seek advice from a lawyer not affiliated with your spouse. Of course, that comes from an attorney. So take that with a grain of salt. However, here's my, uh, my take on that, which is I think you should consult with an attorney. Whether you decide to use one or not, that's up to you. But I think you should, you should at least consult with an attorney and that can give you thoughts about, um, about the divorce and things that you ought to be considering. Many of you will want to have an attorney throughout the whole process because this can get ugly. I, I know you know that it can. Number two is not hiring the right lawyer. Remember, we're talking about money mistakes. So if you're not hiring the right lawyer, you're making a mistake. You make sure that there are, are no about uh, divorce law, 
that they're um, known and respected by other local divorce, divorce lawyers. Um, anyway, enough said. Number three, failing to be your own advocate. And this, this kind of comes from like when you go to the hospital or when you get sick, you can usually read up on what you have and, and find out about it. The same thing is true for your divorce. The more that you know, the better that you can get through this process uh, with your attorney or whether you do it on your own. Um, make, sure you, um, make sure you learn as much as you can. Number four is avoiding the reality of your finances. And that's an, uh, actually one of the biggest mistakes probably. What you need to do is you need to sit down and do what's called a statement of net worth where you add up all your assets and deduct your liabilities to figure out what you actually own. Uh, an asset, by the way, that's like a bank account. It's like a stock account. It's a retirement account. It's a home. Liabilities would be your mortgage, credit card bills, uh, and, and the like. See what that looks like, and then realize that you're probably going to be splitting that 50-50 with your, your ex or your future ex, uh, or in many cases, uh, maybe you're not even married, but you've got related assets together. Take a look at that. And then what's interesting about that is sometimes some couples decide not to get divorced, when they look at this and they realize, boy, this now I've got half and the expenses will be about the same because you have the household and a lot of the same expenses. So anyway, but number five is if you do decide to continue with the process after going through number four, then uh, please do not ignore the inevitable change in your standard of living because you've got less income generally. Uh, and your expenses will not be one half because let's say that both of you were living at home, had a singular mortgage or a singular rent payment. Now you're both going to have those payments. So make sure you adjust accordingly. Number six is don't wait to separate your finances. And, and this is kind of a, an important one. And some of these things you can probably do right off the bat. Some of these things you may have to wait until you uh, actually get divorced. But here's some things that you want to be uh, aware of and that you do. Number one is closing joint credit accounts. Number two, remove your spouse's name from bank accounts, credit cards, and employer records. Change your status and relative uh, relevant information like marital status and addresses on tax records, post office records, professional licenses, property titles, utility bills, health insurance, and so forth. Open a new bank account and a credit card in your own name. Do that as soon as you possibly can. Disinherit your spouse from your will, trust, medical device, living will, power of attorney. This one gets missed often. So if you have your, your ex in your will and you then later pass away not realizing you forgot to redo the will, guess what? Your ex will get those assets. Interestingly enough, in California, where we're recording this, this show, it's an auto-revocation state, which simply means this. If you, if you decide to get divorced and you have a beneficiary statement on a retirement type of an account, it actually is revoked automatically. But don't take that chance. That's what the law is. But why chance it? Just go ahead and set up new beneficiary statements. Also, um, use your personal finance app to track child support, alimony, medical expenses, other expenses related to the divorce. And uh, the last one would be establish sound credit in your name if you have not already done so. so. So there's a few things that you need to do as quickly as you can. But I'm back on my uh, 14, 14 mistakes that people make while they're going through a divorce. And number seven is by making major financial decisions in the midst of divorcing. So <laughs> this is like same ideas if you lose a loved one. Don't go out and make 
drastic life changes until everything kind of settles out and, you know, don't go out and buy a certain car or <laughs> don't go out and, and do this huge trip if you can't afford it, things of that sort. Don't make uh, decisions that are emotional that you're going to regret later. Number eight is attempting to hide money or assets. If you're trying to hide money, and sometimes people do because they have to pay spousal support or child support, uh, realize that you're risking serious penalties and even possible jail time, according to uh, an attorney that was that was quoted here. And uh, the uh, an enrolled agent talked about uh, the IRS considers this a fraudulent conveyance, and it's uh, it's easy to catch and it's not tolerated. So be careful there. Number nine. Don't quit your job or reduce your hours. If you already have a job, don't try to reduce the amount of time uh, and income that you earn in order to lower your spousal payments. In addition to stiff penalties, uh, and if you're found out, the courts can impute income. They believe you intentionally suppressed and, and charge you for that. Number 10 mistake is remaining unemployed. If you're currently not working, Try to get a job. Remember, your expenses are likely going to be more relative to your income to keep up some level of uh, standard of living. Uh, next one is keeping the same beneficiaries. I talked about this already. So if you have a, an IRA, a 401k, a 403b, uh, transfer on death uh, of a non-retirement account, uh, you want to make sure that you change the beneficiary. And realize that California is that auto-revocation state. Not all states are. Uh, but make sure that you have the correct beneficiaries. Uh, just get that done as soon as you can. Number 12 is wasting money fighting about child support. The reason there, don't spend a lot of legal time on this. Child support is set by a formula with which the courts rarely deviate from. So obviously have your attorney help you with this, but don't spend a ton of money fighting something that's probably not winnable. Uh, 13 is going to court unnecessarily. If at all possible, you're trying to stay out of court. There's mediation. There's other kinds of things that you can do. And the last one is by is not enlisting the help of a financial planner. And of course, this is a, a quote here is from a financial planner. So again, it's a bit self-serving. Although this is from Scott Hansen, who's a CFP that I actually know. Uh, and trust. He's actually a good guy up in Sacramento. But at any rate, if you, um, when you get divorced and you're trying to figure out finances, particularly if you were the, the spouse that didn't know as much about finances as the, as the person that you divorced from, make sure you hire a financial planner. Make sure that you are on the right kind of budget, the, the level of budget that you can sustain, uh, and that you have a plan for moving forward for in maybe buying a house again some other time or retiring or any other number of goals that you have a financial planner can be fantastic for that. When your family situation changes, the last thing you want to do is deal with the hassle of paperwork. Keeping family records current and centrally located is a challenge, but it's especially important when a loved one dies or becomes disabled or in the case of a divorce. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our free estate plan organizer. Keep all your financial data organized with this centralized document. Find all the relevant information like your employment details, bank and retirement account information, beneficiaries, wills, trusts, insurance policies, fill out the forms completely, keep them up to date, and store them in a safe, easily accessible place. Make a difficult situation easier before you need it. To get your free estate plan organizer, just visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. 
Now let's open up the email bag. If you've got a money question, send it to Joe and Big Al at info at purefinancial.com. I got a couple more emails. Yeah, all right. Let's have them. I am 76 years old and retired. I have excellent credit and receive $22,500 in total income per year. I received $180,000 inheritance and want to purchase a new home. What is the best way to approach buying this new home? Should I pay $180,000 in cash? Should I invest in a mutual fund and pay the monthly mortgage using the uh, mutual fund? Would that be possible in the foreseeable future? All right. Well, that's we don't have a lot of information, but I'll go off of what we have. So um, $22,500 of annual income. And, and I guess this 76-year-old is comfortable with that $22,500. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So they've figured out how to live on that that life. That's less than $2,000 per month. So $180,000 inheritance wants to buy a new home. First of all, I'm not a I'm not a mortgage broker or um, advisor, but uh, I think a quick rule of thumb is the amount that you can borrow is something like your income times three. Don't quote me, but maybe it's times four. I don't know, but there's you're gonna have problems. I think borrowing as much as you want to borrow. Maybe you can borrow some. Maybe you can borrow sixty thousand or eighty thousand. I'm not really sure. So it's it's so you're gonna have to use a lot of the cash, depending upon how much the cost of the home is. I guess buy it with cash if you can. That's, that's period. Be, be, because because you're already covering your lifestyle. Right. With it's your already, and now you're gonna save money because you're renting somewhere. Right. So you just take the hundred eighty thousand dollars, buy it for cash. That money that you put in rent is not gonna be used to pay for your property tax, maintenance, correct, insurance. Yeah. Um, but then you have equity within the home. Yeah. And of course, what we don't know is do they have other assets that they can draw on if, if, or she, I should say, uh, if she needs it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be hard to qualify for a loan. And I'm not sure um, uh, if that's going to be the best answer for you either. I agree with you, Joe. So then, but here's a little sidebar uh, question that they asked is that should I invest in a mutual fund to pay the monthly mortgage? using the mutual fund? Answers, absolutely not. Um, this is where I think people get a little bit confused on rates of return because they might hear, hey, I bought this mutual fund. This mutual fund has averaged 6% over the last 20 years. Right. And so that 6% on my $180,000, well, that might you know, help me pay my monthly mortgage. Yeah, because the mortgage is only 4%. Sure. Well, no. What's what's 6% on $180,000? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Eleven grand, call it. Okay, so let's say that their mortgage is eleven thousand dollars. Right. So they're going to say one hundred eighty thousand dollars goes in. They're going to get eleven thousand bucks. They're going to pay the mortgage with that eleven thousand and keep the principal of one hundred eighty thousand for the rest of their life. Sounds good. This sounds great, right? And I think that's why this individual is asking that question is yeah. because I think a lot of times people think that way is that the if you got a guaranteed rate right. of six percent, which you cannot find, you know, then that's one thing. Right, um, but no, I would. Th- that is way too risky because it, if you're going in whatever type of mutual fund to try to get a little higher expected rate of return to pay a mortgage payment, you know, you're going to have tons of volatility within that overall mutual fund. And um, some years you're going to do well, some years you're going to do poorly. But now you have this mortgage over your head, and this thing will dry out fairly quickly. So I would just pay it with cash, get over it. Now you got your home, and. Um, Go from there. Yeah, I think another side point we get this question is, uh, well, I got one hundred eighty thousand. I want to buy a home, maybe in a couple of years. So, how should I invest it? And the answer is, 
put it in cash or put it in a very safe short-term uh, bond fund because you can't really risk that principal. And any money that you want to get at within three to five years really shouldn't be invested in the market because you can't really depend upon the market in the short term. Right, without question. All right, we got time for one more here. Okay. Uh, if I retire at 62 years old, can I still pay into the Social Security system until I start withdrawing at 65 or 66 years old? I think I would need to do this to maximize my monthly benefit if Got it. Well, uh, if you truly retire, then the answer is no, because the way you pay into it is through your job. So you would have to either keep working or at least have a, a, a part-time job or something to be able to pay in. You can't just you know, write the Social Security Administration a check, which I think is kind of the question. Right. In other countries, you can do that. Right. Uh, but not here in the good old USA. So, yeah, my, my right, I'm retiring at 62. Can I continue to pay $10,000 yeah. a year, $7,000 yeah. a year into Social Security? Right, and get get the, a good benefit. Actually, my brother, who's an attorney in Sacramento, actually, he's a judge. So wow. be careful when you're in Sacramento, Joe. Oh, just warning you. Anyway, he's, uh, he's been at it, I don't know how many years, maybe six or seven, something like that. And he's, he'll work another... Six years or so, I think is what he told me. Uh, and But he wants to buy another seven years uh, because you can with the state of California pension. Right. And that might make sense. But it doesn't work. You know, you have to run the numbers and see if it does. But you are not. You can't do that with Social Security. Yeah, you can't buy in years in Social Security like you can in some other pensions. Right. Uh, so, um, so, but here's the, another point. But these questions that we get, it's like, all right, well, if you're 62 years old and you need to maximize your Social Security. You better keep working. Keep working. <laughs> keep working. Right? It's like, well, you, then don't retire at 62. Right. I get it. It's like, oh, I'm tired. Right. Getting older. Right. Well, you can't afford it. Right. <laughs> it's true. And and it's... Uh... We, we are now, and we just talked about life expectancy for a 65, someone that makes it to 65. So for men, it's 87. For women, it's 89. That's a long period of time for retirement, which is why Social Security retirement age is going up. It's, it'll be 67 here pretty soon. And you're going to need to be more have more productive years to be able to fund this, this, this uh, retirement because we're living longer, which is a great thing until you start adding up dollars and cents, and you better have a plan for it. Yeah. I mean, it always boils down to a plan. Um, I don't care if it's on a napkin. I don't care if it's a 1,000-page yeah. document. It's just you ever run. seen a ever seen a thousand page document? Oh yeah, yeah. No, couple I've engineers. A couple, yeah, that yeah. thing's huge. It's heavy <laughs> as hell. You know, <laughs> comes comes in a wheel wheelbarrow. It does. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, it's just taking some time. You know, real simple. It's start with your net worth statement. Right. What's a net worth statement? It's just basically all your assets. Right. And assets could be your home. It could be your retirement accounts. Could be cash accounts. Right. Minus your liabilities, which is your mortgage payment or credit card debt or car loans, that equals your net worth. That's where you start. It's real simple. Just start there, and then you want a like a cash flow statement. What all that is is look at your income coming in minus the expenses going out. Is it positive or negative? Right? And then get a decent handle on that. Those are two documents that are crucial, and it takes a matter of I don't know half an hour. Yeah. To to put together for the rest of your life. And I, and I think, Joe, sometimes people get really caught up in, well, wait, I'm spending 
Am I spending twenty eight dollars or thirty dollars on cable or whatever whatever it may be? Right. And it it's, it's it just get caught for, up in the weeds. For purposes of this example, it's like no, it's like it's like what's your net pay? Okay, well I make my net pay is five grand a month. Okay, so that's sixty grand for the year. Do you have money extra at year end? Yeah, I have I have I probably put about two hundred dollars a month in my savings. So that's twenty four hundred. So sixty grand minus twenty four hundred, that must be what you're spending. Right. It's, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Now, if you want to take the time to get it more accurate, I'm all for that. That's a really good thing. But if you just do that first step of looking at your net pay and then, and then deciding whether you have extra, or in some cases you have, you're, you're spending more than your net pay because your credit card bills keep going up year after year. Sure. Uh, and, you know, I get it. We all want to find – there's two things, though. There's financial independence – and then there's some people that are retiring, right? And I like financial independence a lot better because yeah. people are retiring without doing the appropriate planning, and it's going to blow up. It's got to. Or, or they're going to, I don't know. I, we know people that spend a, a couple of nickels a year, and they're the happiest people on earth. So yeah, money's not everything. No, but if you don't plan on it, and you're really happy the first couple of years of your retirement, and then you find yourself broke... <laughs> Right. That's a long road to hoe. That's why divorce happens frequently now with people in their 60s. Right. Yeah. And what do you think the number one reason is? It's not because they're cheating on each other, right? They don't have the energy for that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 70 years old, going out to the clubs, babe. <laughs> we'll see you. I'll see you Monday. <laughs> I'll be home around 3.30. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. no. Well, maybe they're going it's, to the Sizzler. And... Uh, yeah. It's 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 a couple things. It's it's not planning. The finances blow up. And the second thing is, all of a sudden, they're together all the time, right. and they haven't figured out how to do that. Yes. It's like get the hell out of here. <laughs> Leave me alone. Right. Right. I'm used to seeing you on the at night or on the weekends. Drawing up a net worth statement, a cash flow statement, and creating a retirement strategy, especially if it's a thousand pages, may require a little bit more knowledge than you've gotten from listening to this podcast. Picking up chicks at Sizzler, my gosh. Learn from our team of certified financial planners in person at one of our two-day retirement courses in San Diego, Orange County, or Los Angeles. Visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to sign up for a class near you. Whether you want to build a nest egg, protect your assets, or preserve your lifestyle throughout retirement, this course will help you to make informed decisions for your retirement. Visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and get registered. This is an article I saw from U.S. News and World, World Report on how safe is your 401k. All right. And I think that's a, a pretty relevant question right now because we've had an eight-year bull market, probably likely one of the best markets uh, in our lifetimes. And, it, of course, it, it what preceded that was the Great Recession. And that often happens when there's a huge correction. There's also a huge bull run. And so people are a little bit worried about their 401ks, particularly this year. It's been a lot more volatile. So here's a couple thoughts to check the safety of your 401k. Uh, the first one, and some of these will be basic, but I think it's, it's, it's worth kind of revisiting and thinking about is to make sure you've carefully selected your investments. And, and a lot of people don't really fully realize that depending upon what investment choices they make in their 401k, 
can completely change the outcome of what the future might look like. For example, stocks generally outperform bonds over the long term, but bonds are safer, they're less volatile. And certain kinds of stocks generally return more over the long term, like small company stocks, value stocks, emerging market stocks, but they're also a lot more volatile. And I think it's, it's easy to get complacent over the last few years that the stock market will always go up. And I think a lot of people have loaded up on these aggressive uh, uh, investment categories. And I think it's worth taking a look right now to see, is this really the right mix for you and, and how close you are to retirement? Well, it's called recency bias, right? Because when you have a good bull run, people continue to believe that it's going to do what it's done in the past. But they do the exact same thing when the market goes down. And so then they believe that the market's going to continue to go down. So then they react completely differently. If you look at 2000 through 2010, right? Um, several studies have been done. And if you look at the highest performing mutual fund in that time period, because if you look, let's just say the U.S. markets as a whole. Okay, yeah. Right, the U.S. markets as a whole was down about 10%. Yeah, over a 10-year period. Over a 10-year so period. not only did you not make anything, you lost money. So if you started with a million bucks, you had $900,000 a year later. 10 years if, later. Uh, yeah, 10 years later, if you bought and hold. Yeah, right. That means you didn't get out of the markets because if you remember, there was 2000 through 2002. Right. And then we had the Great Recession. So those two-year time periods were brutal, down roughly, I don't know, what, 40, 50%. Right. Okay. And so, but they looked at the top performing mutual fund within that time period. And I don't know the name of the fund. And let's just call it a hypothetical fund. Okay. Okay. <laughs> just for compliance purposes. <laughs> okay, good. Was up about 22% over that time period. Okay. Okay. And so then they looked at the average investor within that fund. Guess what their average rate of return is in that same time period if and they were invested in that fund. Oh, you mean, but as, as okay, I'd say 5% because they bought and sold at the wrong time. Negative 11. Negative 11? Negative oh, okay. 11. Okay. <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah. So yeah. It, that just shows that you know individual investors, even institutional investors, um, were human beings. Right. And as soon as you start taking a, 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 you know, you look at your, your account balance and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm down 10%. I got to do something. I got to get out of this. You know, yeah. and it's human nature because if you see a train coming down the tracks right at you, you want to get the hell out of the way. And so that's what we believe or feel, right? When we look at our market balance, if, if it's right. going down, it's like danger. Yeah. Get out. Get out. Yeah. Right. Get out. And I got, I have a little history here. I looked this up, Joe. So the, you look at the Dow. Uh, and, and in October of 2007, so this is a little over 10 years ago, it, w it reached a high of about 14,198. And then by March of 2009, it was 6,470. So that's the 40, 45% down that you were just talking about. And of course, we know a lot of people panicked and sold at that point. They got into cash. The market doesn't work. The system's broken. Right. You can't make right. money anymore. Now, April 2018, the high of, of this month, this last month, 24,859. So, close to 25,000. Yeah, yeah, close to 20. You go from 14 to 6 to 25,000 just by doing nothing, just by staying. And I'm not saying to invest in the Dow. I'm just giving you a frame of reference here. And a lot of times when people, when they, they, they say, well, wait a minute, we're at all-time highs. I got to get out because it's, you know, it's, it, there's going to be a correction. Yeah, there's going to be a correction. 
but you have the right investment strategy. You probably shouldn't be in all stocks. That's why you want to have diversification. Turns out foreign stocks, don't they, they tend to go up and down at slightly different times than U.S. stocks. And then there's bonds, which, which in, in some cases do somewhat the opposite of stocks, not always. And so that's where you have more safety is the diversification and not by getting in and out of the market. You know, you did a wonderful job this week, Alan, as a CPA, talking about, um, Alan and I had a client meeting, um, hypothetically, and Brian Perry was with us, and he's our director of research. He's a chartered financial analyst. Alan's a CPA, and I'm a certified financial planner. And we were doing a some, some complicated investment strategy on this person's um, stock. Yes, right. <laughs> And I was thinking about it this morning on the drive-in. You're like, okay, this is going to be fairly complicated, but we can isolate the price of the stock with some options. There's all sorts of different flavors. <laughs> you like that? My technical term? And I was I, like, I, I, is this Baskin Robbins? I got, I, but I got that from Alexis in our <laughs> training department. He said, you got all kinds of choices. We got all sorts of flavors here. So, but it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. Because... <laughs> You might limit, you might l- limit a little bit of your upside, but you get rid of the downside. So, what do you think? <laughs> um, okay, what does that really mean? Yeah, and, and you you were say, you were like trying to pull me off. Yes, the show, I had a... say Brian, Brian, would you get in there and tell him what really is happening? Oh, because this person has a couple million bucks in an individual security, right? And the security's fairly volatile, and they're looking to retire in the next year or two. And if they sell it, and all, they sell a it, huge tax. They got a million dollar, you know, million two gain, right? And so. We looked at it and said, all right, well, we got to figure out a way to, you know, to sell this off over time, but we also can't necessarily have this individual security. Right. Well, and so we did some caller options on it. Yes, we did. The, the we did. We, the we talked calls and puts. Calls and puts, baby. Yeah. Calls and puts. All right. That's it for us. Um, hopefully you enjoyed the show. We'll see you again next week. So to recap today's show, watch out because Big Al's brother is a big judge. A Thousand Pages is delivered in a wheelbarrow, 70-year-olds pick up chicks at the Sizzler, and investments are like ice cream. They come in all sorts of flavors. It's important to pick the flavors that work best for you, and you might need a professional scooper for that. And I might be getting a little too deep in this metaphor. Special thanks to our guest, the financial lifeguard, Christine Lucan. Visit financialdignityafterdivorce.com to regain your financial dignity after divorce. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, your favorite podcatcher or Apple Podcasts. Listen next time for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.